McShane Bible Study, day 45, and we're starting in Genesis 47. And this is the story of Jacob's family getting settled into Egypt. As um, the brothers and father go, well, Jacob and, and some of his sons are sent by Joseph to go before Pharaoh. And he allots them land in Goshen, the good land, to uh, shepherd their animals and uh, Pharaoh puts some of their animals in their charge. And then we see that the uh, famine continues and all the people of Egypt have to sell themselves, all except for um, the, the priests and, and assume, you know, presumably Joseph's family, right? Jacob's mm-hmm. family. Yet somehow uh, in a few generations when uh, at the time of Moses, the people of Israel are all slaves, not the people of Egypt. So I don't know. I don't know what happens in between there. But what's interesting is you see the people selling themselves. It's a picture of uh, the reality that we all live in. People of the world, basically, because of Adam, we have all sold ourselves to the enemy, and he gives us little. There's little enjoyment in life. But we've given him our everything, right? If when we're born of Adam, when when we're born of Christ, <coughs> the life that He calls us into, if we truly enter into it, because we can accept Christ for our salvation, but still be operating in uh, the fallen world, in the realities and the rules of the fallen world. But Jesus has made a way for us to see to enter, even to inherit his kingdom, uh, to knock, to seek, to ask, you know, to, to enter. And it, when we do that, we have to give him everything. Mm-hmm. So we're either giving Satan everything, mm-hmm. and that wasn't really our choice. That's just the life we're born into. Or we choose, no, God, I'll give you everything. And then he supplies us from his riches. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of an interesting picture there, whether we look at that as, you know, Egypt being the world and Pharaoh being like evil king of this world, or we look at, uh, you know, uh, jo- Joseph being the, a Christ-like figure who's made a way for us into a new reality. And we see Joseph or Jacob's family is set apart while all this is going on, mm-hmm. right? And then we move to Luke 1, and McShane breaks this up. So we're only going through verse 38. And I like how Luke um, really focuses on sonship in his account by bringing up uh, Zechariah's experience in the uh, temple and uh, that he's promised a son. And then when he's told about this, uh, Malachi is quoted. Malachi is the you know last prophet in the Old Testament, talking about the coming of the Messiah. But it's also an end times prophecy because what's mentioned here, uh, verse uh, sixteen and seventeen, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in spirit and power of Elijah, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a, a people prepared. 
so it's not exactly a quote because Malachi says, and this isn't exactly a quote either, but Malachi says something like the fathers of the children to the, the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers. It's talking about sonship being established. And we see that with, with uh, John being promised here. And we see that then with Jesus being promised to Mary. Verse 32, he will be great and will be called the son of the most high and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. 33, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom, there will be no end. So there's this kingdom promised. There's sonship promised that we can be sons of God instead of sons of the enemy, right? Like we just talked about from Genesis. And so that, that is the plan of God, it's the purpose of God, and that's the message throughout the scripture. So I just like the fact that Luke focuses on that, or at least points to it in his first chapter, which is unusual amongst the Gospels. So now we're in Job 13. Oh, and, and Weston, I didn't, I should have said this before, but so the chapters were added way later, right? Mm-hmm. So he's still in his answer to his friend from chapter 12. It's just for him, it's just one long answer. And um, so, yeah, just like exactly like what you said, Weston, what stands out is we see God dealing with the deep things of his heart. And we see it coming out of Job's lips. So he says things like, verse 2, What you know, I also know. I am not inferior to you, but I would speak to the Almighty, and I desire to argue my case with God. So he he knows, and, and it's true, uh, according to what God said at the beginning, that he's uh, more righteous than his friends. But that righteousness has built up some pride in him, and he thinks he can stand before God and argue his case. And, and so he's saying, oh, that you would keep silent and that would be your wisdom. Well, that's ironically should be true of him too. That's what God's going to tell him later is, where were you when I created the world, right? He's going to uh, humble Job and he's telling his friends, you should be humble and keep silent. God's going to tell him basically the same thing later. Uh, 15, though he slay me, I will hope in him. So he's, he's, he's continuing to worship him yet. I will argue my ways to his face. So he's kind of haughty in heart here that, hey, I'm a righteous guy. I can stand before God and argue my case. 18, behold, I have prepared my case. I know that I shall be in the right. And what's going to happen is he's going to come before God and he's going to be totally humbled that he can't stand before God because his righteousness when compared to God is is soiled garments, right? It's, 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 He thinks he's clean, but when he stands before God, he realizes just how dirty he is. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? And so God is pulling, the, and God takes us through things in life where these things deep in our heart are exposed, where we think that we mm-hmm. are uh, special or, you know, on one hand, God did create every one of us in a unique way in order to... Uh, display a certain aspect of his glory to all of creation that can only be seen through us. Mm-hmm. So that's amazing and special that he made us each that way. And yet the fallen human heart mm-hmm. warps that and says, 
I'm really special and unique. And I'm, we never say it, we never even think it, but it's kind of how the fallen man makes all of us in the flesh act that really I'm kind of like the God of my own world. And I can go my own way because I'm pretty good. I'm pretty smart. I'm pretty wise. I'm pretty special. And so the enemy distorts the truth of what God made in order that we raise ourselves up. And so Job was a righteous man. God said so at the beginning. And, and we, but we see this brokenness coming out of his heart that I can stand before God and argue my case. We're going to see when we get there, he, he, when he really does, he finds out, no, he cannot. He's not that righteous. He need that pride. We see Jesus didn't have that pride, right? Jesus laid everything down and they called him a good man. He said, there's no one good, not even one, mm-hmm. right? Well, we think, well, Jesus is really good, right? When someone called him good, he said, no, there's no one good. Only God, he completely humbled himself and said, my life is in God, for God, by God. And anything you think of me is just ridiculous. You should just see God in me. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So, and then we're ending up in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And he starts in the beginning, we're talking about verse 9. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. So what have you been called into? The fellowship of Jesus. He says, you know, this is, you're, you're brought into this new life, this new family community within those that are in this life. So he's trying to reorient what they think that they are and and what they do. And then he starts talking about they've been arguing. You know, I follow Apollos. I follow follow, uh, Caiaphas. I follow Christ. He says, what are you talking about? You're off track. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? They had put up their leader, their denomination, their way above following the the fact that Christ is the way. And so he says, this, this cannot stand. This is not the way. This is not what God's called you into. Verse 17, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. He didn't, he said, I didn't come. Apollos was a beautiful speaker. Like when he spoke, people mm-hmm. were just Wow. When he, we know from Acts, when he was first teaching, uh, he didn't even have the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Um, but he was able to convince many people that Jesus was the Christ and was the Messiah because of his incredible uh, um, words. His, uh, I'm not thinking of the word. <laughs> uh, but he would, you know, give incredible uh, speeches, um, you know. It's like a, a pastor of a, you know, a, a church that has thousands of people because he can come and give a really compelling message every Sunday. Uh, well, Apollos was able to do this before he even had the Holy Spirit in him. Paul, it's quite clear, never had this ability. He said, I didn't come to you as someone who could give a fancy speech. But I did come with the power of God, meaning the grace of God that was with him impacted people and, and helped 
people for one come to the Lord, but also establish the order of the kingdom in that area. That's the grace God gave to him. So he said, I came to this by the power of the cross. That's what I preached. The power of the necessity to accept Jesus on the cross for us. And the way to follow Jesus in giving up our rights to our own life and entering into his life by following him through the cross. Right? And so he said, any other way is not the gospel. Verse 18, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So it's foolishness to most of the world that you, you believe that some guy dying on a cross is what gives you eternal life. That's ridiculous. You know, that's what most people think. But he says, no, it actually makes sense. You know, most religions, you probably don't know this, most religions in the world just teach you, you need to be a good person. And then you'll get into heaven. What the Bible teaches us, what God teaches us, is none of you are good people. We just talked about this, right? None of you are good people. But Jesus lived a perfectly obedient life, which none of us have, which Adam didn't, and so it became impossible for us. Jesus lived a perfectly obedient life. And was a sacrifice for us because a sacrifice was required so that we could enter into the redemption that Christ offered us, that we could enter into this kind of life. And so that is foolishness to the world, but it is eternal life from God. He says Jews demand a sign, Greeks demand wisdom, seek wisdom. So Greeks want a fancy argument. So we have these two types of people today, right? And, and you know, I would say in Zechariah talks about end times, the uh, sons of Zion versus the sons of Greeks. And so, or sons of Greece. Mm-hmm. Um, it means, because we have a very Greek culture. We're all about logic and reason. I, I myself in the flesh am all about logic and reason. That's how I came to the Lord, was logic and reason. It's unusual for most, but that was how I came. But... Um, Jews demand a sign. We have also a lot of those today. They're all about signs and wonders. I want to see miracles. When I see miracles, well then, um, that, that's the way. Uh, Greeks, I need a logical explanation for what you're trying to teach me. And Paul says both of these are folly, right? He says it's a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. Is Christ crucified? He says, it's not the way of man. It's the reality of God. And it's a wisdom from above that goes beyond anything of man that we have to enter into by faith. Mm-hmm. Now, logic might help us get there. Signs and wonders might help us get there. But in the end, there has to be a faith that, Lord, I, I can't see you. Mm-hmm. But I believe you are the way that you've made the provision of Jesus on a cross for me to enter into your life. And so I accept what you've done and I and I'm yours, Lord. And so the last verse 31, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. Just as we said earlier, there's no one good, not even one. He said, what do we have to boast about? We have to boast about the Lord and his way. That is what is good. That is what is right. And that is who we are. And that is it for today. The Lord bless you.
God bless you. Goodbye.